You got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. What's up, electric people? It has been a while since we have hung out with you. We're fresh out of quarantine for the most part, except for it looks like Adam is still in quarantine on the East Coast. I'm deep so, in quarantine still. We have been doing our weekly podcast <laughs> as yeah, you're deep into it. You're so deep into it, I happen to know you bought a puppy the other day. You're losing your mind I bought a there. puppy. I'm eating Cheez-Its, drinking Diet Coke. I've never drinking in my life. I mean, life's, I'm in the upside down right now, Ty. <laughs> well, we're going to have Dr. Manning straighten us both out. So uh, the, on the show today, we, we have a great guest. We have Dr. Craig Manning. So for you that are not um, familiar with Dr. Manning's work, he's a human performance scientist and best-selling author of the book, The Fearless Mind, which I love that title to that, that book, Dr. Manning. I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, Fearless well, Mind is very empowering. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah. Professor of Performance... Yeah, pr uh, Professor of Performance Psychology at BYU. Over 15 years, uh, you're the mental strength coach for the university's athletic department. Um, he has a very broad clientele ranging from the Milwaukee Bucks, the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Olympic teams, the Red Bull High Performance teams, and a roster of companies around the world. So um, I'm really excited to, to dive into some of your content and hear your story, Dr. Manning, because um, as I've listened to you on different calls, and I've been in um, the audience to a few different um, talks that you've given. I just can't get over how directly applicable your performance coaching um, tactics for athletes are to our salespeople and the way that they the way that they perform. So uh, thank you for being on the show, and we're excited to have you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so why don't you start by uh, telling us? I mean, you you were a, a former tennis pro. How'd you get How'd you get started in in uh, performance psychology. Yeah, I grew up playing tennis. My whole family, my dad's side of the family are fanatical tennis. My older cousin played pro, my younger cousin played pro. I played pro for a while. And from the time I was young, I was always just fascinated what really leads to success. Played a lot of rugby growing up, played cricket. And just did some people, were they just born with it? Or did you need to learn to develop it? So it was always on my mind and always trying to figure out what was the basically the, the secret to try and achieve what you want, you know, and, uh, and I was on the tour for a couple of years and I thought I was pretty talented and didn't really get where I wanted to go. Um, ended up taking a scholarship offer to BYU and I lost to a friend for the first time ever. This is I'm 19, 20 years of age. And I lost him seven, six, seven, six, seven, six, six years later, that guy was number one in the world. And to me, it was, to, it wasn't the physical, there, there had to be something else. Cause I'd always beaten him. I always, you know, got a, ahead of him and Australian teams and whatnot. So I just started always looking for that edge and it always seemed to come back to the mental in the end. And, and that's where the journey really began for me. So how did you, how did you make the transition then from, from athlete yourself that was inherently interested in, in performance psychology then to, to coaching other people? Yeah, well, I was always coaching from the age of 15 to help pay for my tennis addiction. So I was teaching lessons all the time back in my friend's academy in Australia. <laughs> um, and then I came to the US and I was teaching on the side to help pay for everything there. And I think I used to overthink things so much and get in my head so much, but I, I thought about the game backwards, sideways, upside down. And so 
transitioning into coaching, I just seemed to do well from a coaching standpoint pretty early. Um, after I graduated playing on the team here at BYU, the coach asked me to stay and be the assistant coach. And then I actually went home after undergraduate school in psychology for a month or two months and BYU asked me to come back to be an assistant coach, which I did because I was always fascinated and wanted to go into sports psych. I kind of passed this up earlier, but when I was 16, I went to see a sports psych where I'm from, a guy that had worked with uh, Pat Cash who won Wimbledon. And when I came out, I thought to myself, if I don't make it as a pro, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was just fascinated about all of how you get the mind unlocked to, to maximize your potential and really use what you have. And so then when I came back to BYU to coach, I went into grad school, did my general general psychology, always with the goal of doing my PhD in performance psych. So started coaching and I started getting athletes. I don't know how far you want me to go with this, but I started I started studying neuroscience, neuroplasticity to be specific, which was an emerging field back then and started training everyone to use a journal. So everyone on my team needed to use this journal, in a sense, mapping the mind. And we just started developing talent like crazy. Like normally, if you're not a superstar by 16, people think it's too late. But we started developing talent and just because the mind's plastic and we ended up winning seven titles in eight years and it just blew out from there. And But that's where it all began for me, just the neuroscience and neuroplasticity and, and mapping the mind. What's your process when you start with someone? You know, I'm assuming you get a call or you decide you're going to take on a new client. Is step one to just go and observe them play for a few games, a few matches, a few months. I mean, and then yeah. you start understanding their tendencies. And then what? How do you how do you kind of game plan for changing yeah. someone? It's a good question, Adam. Actually, what I've been doing, I, I wrote the I wrote my book ten years ago, but since then I've just constantly been doing my research. I do half an hour appointments, which is really rare in my field because talking more is not helping it. It's about getting the right skills down. And more talk only makes more your mind too busy. So over the last 10 years, I've been figuring out these patterns because we can see it now, guys. This neuroscience, this is not, this is not, some people call it a soft science, but it, it's hard science because we can see the, and I, I've even got images here, we can see the heat signatures now. So it's not theory. And we can actually measure the, the average height of processing. And so from that, we've able been able to map a pattern and to be able to develop this mental toughness. So um, the mind is the mind, whether in performance, whether in athletics, business, music, it doesn't matter. So I always start with the same skill, honestly. I don't need to look at anyone. It's almost better sometimes I don't know the sport because the more I don't know it, the more I'm helping the individual do the mental work. And that's really the key. My worst work in today's day and age is actually with tennis players because I, I do the work for them too much. So it's better for me to work with a sport I don't know and to get them to do the mental work. So whether you're a 12 year old, like some of the Red Bull athletes I started working with, they're 12 and 13. Um, you know, some of the, whether you're a billionaire business owner or a 12 year old, I still start the same. So everything starts with self-belief. And then I build it from there. Everyone has strengths in certain areas, but I still take them through this progression of, of skills and there really is an order to that as, as best as we've been able to identify. So with the, the, the concept of journaling is really, um, that's really interesting to me. I actually heard, um, I was listening to the, the 
talk that you gave to Tyler Mickelson's group just the other day, and you said that you were doing that with your professional teams. I think it was the Milwaukee Bucks that you were having them journal and stuff like that. Um, a lot of our sales teams do similar things, but they do like a gratitude journal. What what specific yeah, things when you have uh, teams journal? What what are they doing? Yeah, gratitude's good because when you gratitude, it's you're, you're focusing on things external to you, and so you're thankful for these things. And when you have that gratitude, that's number one of the biggest indicators to happiness. So that's why gratitude's big. Um, you're not developing any skills there, though. You're just really looking at the things that are good, and which is really, really beneficial. But, and this is what I've been figuring out through years. The first level is self-mastery. The second level I like to call environmental. There's three ways that we exist. First is your conscious mind, the top 10%. That's first. Second is the subconscious, which is your habits, which control your behavior. So cognitions, behavior. That's why you hear so many people say cognitive behavioral therapists. Um, that, those are the two. Then the third one is the environment. And there's the three ways we exist, cognitive, behavioral, environmental. And if you do this right and you learn to control your conscious mind, then you're going to be in control of your habits. And then you are impacting the environment, which is called an in-to-out mindset. And there's the order. If you don't get the order right and you're super worried about the environment, you always have an out-to-in mindset. And that's the very mechanics of a victim or a, a uh, you're in a reactive mindset when you do it that way. So really the key is, is to develop the mind first so that you can handle the real world better. And so when, when I talk about these mental skills, there's a, I'm trying to strengthen people's minds at the core. And if you can strengthen their mind at the core, they can handle anything in this world. But if you don't, then you're in a you're in this reactive mindset that is dangerous. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, the fact that you know when you say that uh, typically people do those things out of order. Typically, they look at their mm -hmm. environment first. We see the same thing. Like a lot of our sales guys, they'll go through. Say they're in a sales slump, right? And they say something yeah. like, "Oh, I just gotta I just gotta dial in my habits. I just gotta get my schedule." Or what What are some of your you know, what are you saying to overcome the objection or whatever? So in this case, your advice or your technique would be, we got to start a few steps back, strengthen the mind and start. Yep. What does it start with? Does it start with self-awareness? Does it start with goal setting? Yeah. Yep. It's good. Self-belief. Everything starts with self-belief. So let me give an example. For, for decades now, parents have called me and said, my son or daughter struggles with confidence. They need confidence. Or door-to-door -door salespeople, I, I need more confidence. Great. Well, confidence is actually the eighth skill. I can teach someone to be confident, but they're going to lose it in an hour because there's other skills that impact confidence. So you've got to go back up the food chain and get motivation right because motivation affects your anxiety, which affects your focus, which affects your confidence. You can't just build confidence. You have to have, you actually have to have skills to be confident in. Otherwise, the confidence is, is artificial. It's not authentic. And there's nothing really to be confident in. Everyone talks about confidence, 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 but no one really knows what it is. That's why so many people really don't have confidence. They act like they do, but they really aren't. Because there's nothing of substance there that they really have identified that is real confidence. So my first thing I work with anyone is self-belief. Self-belief is foundational for everyone. Because self-belief is also called a can-do mindset. What that does is it turns the mind on. It operationalizes and activates the mind. And what that does is it gets the mind moving in a direction. Without belief, our mind is bouncing everywhere. 
So everything starts with self-belief. Because here's the other thing, guys. If you don't believe, build self-belief, your intelligence and confidence isn't rooted in you. It's rooted in the external world. And the problem with the external, we don't have control over. So when you build confidence in a system or you build confidence in, uh, in rules, those rules and systems are external to you that are always susceptible to change. So it, it really, the key to human performance, and that's why I call it human performance, is we got to strengthen the human first. If you don't, if you, go and, if you go and do a Google search on performance in itself, um, you're going to find a byte chain. And the deeper you go in the Google search, it's machine parts and you become mechanical and people lose their identity. And you become a robot and you, that, that's not what leads to success. The beginning need, needs to be rooted in the person. That's the very beginning of human performance. It needs to be rooted in the individual. And as it's rooted in the individual, and so this goes back to Adam's question a little bit, it's, it, performance needs to be rooted in the individual because everyone's a little different. And so people need to figure out the patterns that work for them. If you don't, you conform, and that's 95%. And I have the data, and we have the neuroscience here. Unfortunately, guys, I mean, it's, this is why this is my mission in life. The neuroscience is definitive. It shows that 95% of the human race engage the ventral part, and I don't mean to go too heavy on the science, but to, uh, the, the ventral part of the prefrontal cortex. And the number one definition, guys, this is huge for everyone watching, is reactive self-referencing. That means reactive self-talk, okay? The complete opposite of that, the people that engage the dorsal, the high road. And we've got data to show some of the smartest, uh, you know, the billionaires, high-performing athletes, musicians, they engage the dorsal. The dorsal, by definition, is deliberate self-referencing, which deliberate is proactive. And there's the difference that really two neurons, neurons can't fire at the same time. And if you, if you already noticed, I have not mentioned the word positive yet. And there's a reason for that. It's not about thinking positive. It's about proactive because when you're proactive, it operationalizes the mind and it gets the mind moving forward. When you're being positive, it doesn't operationalize the mind. Positive is a little too fluffy. It doesn't do anything. Positive is just great. Everything's great. Well, what action are you going to take? Um, does that make sense guys? Yeah. So if I'm just to kind of summarize, or summarize the concept, if I have a challenging moment, when you're saying the difference between for lack of a better word, the the winners and the losers are the winners are proactively engaging in self-talk, right? So yes, is that a system? It's a system that they create it's almost like when you, you know, you have a bad thought and you'd snap your wrist with a rubber band kind of thing. Is it kind of same idea where you have a system in place when negative things happen in your life? You're like, okay, hey, when this stuff gets thrown at me, I'm going to say these five mantras to myself over and over until I'm in a positive mindset. Or how do you, how do you I guess, execute mm -hmm. on what you're referring to? Mm -hmm. So let's go even with positive first because positive is good. We do want to have positive energy, but – in the real world, which is why so many people, have, we have so many mental health problems right now, because the real world's never the same. Say you're on I-15, you get in a car accident. How do you make sense of that if you're trying to be positive? Awesome. This is great. Thousands of dollars of damage. This is awesome. Not going to get to an appointment. This is awesome. Well, it's artificial. It's fake. The mind doesn't believe that because you're lying to yourself. And when you lie to yourself, it just pushes it aside. So it creates cognitive dissonance, which means there's a gap. 
and we can't make sense of it. So then we're scrambling for answers to get a sense of control. And the, instead, if you're proactive and you get in a car accident, what are you doing? 911, calling my wife can you, and calling clients and you're taking action. So thereby you can handle adversity way better when you're proactive. Now, this is why, and I love your question, Adam. The first skill to develop that is a can do, which is a belief in yourself. I can do this. You hear those words always come out of high-performing athletes, musicians, business people. I can do this because it gets the mind moving forward. Now, that's just the beginning. That just operationalizes it and moves it. Here's the next part. Then being proactive, you can train if you're aware of your thoughts. You're, you, you, you can train your mind to always look for solutions and be proactive in everything you do. So it's not just mantras. It's actually creating mental habits and creating mental rules. And I'm not big on the word system. It's not a system, but you're creating mental rules in your head that become a habit so that everything that happens in life, you always move towards it instead of run away from it. And yes, coming back before, um, you're either playing to win or playing not to lose. And when you're proactive, you're playing to win. When you're playing not to lose, you're always avoiding and running. So here's the next thing I can even share with you. Once you're reactive, this is neuroscience. Once you're in a reactive state of mind, what's triggered next is fight or flight, which is fear. And then the third one is now you're a creature of habit, meaning nothing changes when you're reactive. There's no progression in your skill development. You're always just reacting to life. And when you react to life, so if I put up my hand here and you guys pushed on and I got you to push on it, you're just going to react back to me. In that moment, I'm your master. Every time you react to somebody else, every time you react to the environment, that environment is, is the master to your, your progression. The opposite, when you're proactive, you're not reacting to anything. You're getting up with a mindset of what you're going to do, and you're not reacting to the environment or other people. So now you're in control, and that's what deliberate self-referencing is. That's what freedom is. Now you're in control of your own experiences in life. You're acting instead of being acted upon. And that's what the neuroscience is clearly proving. The highest functioning people on the planet, the highest functioning teams, organizations, even countries are the ones that act. The most dysfunctional people, teams, organizations, and countries are the ones that are the most reactive. And when you're reactive, you're putting walls up like Shrek talked about, layers to the onion. It's Freud called them defense mechanisms. Literally, North Korea built a wall. And people build walls in their mind, but people will literally build walls to protect themselves when they're reactive. Whereas when you're proactive, there's no need for walls. And so I like to call it human performance, but really what I'm doing at the core is I'm helping people become high functioning so that they can function at the highest level possible. And I gotta be careful with names, but some of the basketball players I've worked with now for the last five years in the NBA, what we're doing there is getting the most out of them. Everyone thinks athleticism is being stronger. It's not strength, it's functional movement. Everyone thinks business is bigger, bigger, bigger. It's not bigger. It's getting the businesses to everyone to work the way they're supposed to work. Love the question. You can see I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff. Yeah, no, it reminds me. Um, I have a friend that works for us out on the West Coast. Um, his name's Scott uh, Anderson. Knows him and Jordan and those guys out there. But we we served our LDS missions together in Scotland. And I remember one day it was pouring rain and. I'm like, man, this is the worst, you know, and we were outside trying to knock doors and, um, he looked at me and he goes, he goes, what? He's like, 
I've always wanted to know how many doors I can knock when it's pouring rain like this. He's like, I've always wanted to challenge myself to see, Proactive. you know, can you see how that? Many, yeah. Love it. You know what I mean? So that was like a really yeah, good lesson it. for me and just positive, like just flipping it to no matter what the situation, try and come up with a way to positively, you know, challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. But I wanted yeah. to ask you, so that self-belief, um, for me, I was like thinking through as you were speaking, like where, does my self-belief come from in the stuff that I'm really confident with? And to me, it always seems like it comes after years of experience or years of sort of just knowing you can do something um, really well. So even something yeah, like that doors where I've been doing it yeah. for a long time. The question is for someone who transitions from one profession to say our profession, how do they accelerate the self-belief mm-hmm. um, to, mm-hmm. to really question, gain. Yeah. Cause that's like, I would say whenever times get tough, that's what you always fall back on is like, I'll yep. always kind of remember, I'll remember the weeks that I had my best sales weeks ever, or I'll think of like a moment where I did really well in a sports game. Or like, I just think of ways to like conjure that confidence that I know is necessary to sell. And, but I feel like when people, start with us and they don't have those years of experience on the doors or in the field, how do they accelerate that self-belief? Great. So you said several really, really good things there. First, there actually is a difference in self-belief and confidence. Um, what the research says, confidence comes when you actually have done something. So that's what confidence is. Confidence really is trust in your skills. So confidence is you using skills you've developed. And so the number one thing in the research behind confidence is your previous performance accomplishments. So after you've done something well, that's what builds confidence. That's why going back to um, an earlier question is it's wise in a journal, not just to, I love to have a gratitude journal. Don't stop doing that. That's amazing. But what's even better is it if you will write down the things you're doing well at the end of each day. Not when you're gra- gra- when you have gratitude, you're grateful for the beautiful sky. You're grateful for things you did nothing to earn. You just, it just came to you. But at the end of each day, if you write down three things you did well, that's the confidence is the most critical, they say. And that's the number one way you build confidence by your previous performance accomplishment. So if you write in a journal three things you did well, that's where you're mapping your mind. You're increasing your intelligence. And as you increase your intelligence, that's where confidence comes. So to use, you were talking about an LDS mission, confidence is more synonymous with perfect knowledge. Because once you've done it, you have knowledge. You have perfect knowledge now. You don't need faith because you already know how to do it. Belief is the belief in doing something you haven't done yet. And that's why belief is so important. So many people that haven't done it, they get to the threshold and they get too scared and they don't try. Um, so many people that don't have enough belief won't push through something they've never done before. And that's why belief is so big to start with. You need to have the belief just to try. So think of belief more as, as faith and confidence more as perfect knowledge. And you need faith. Faith is the belief plus action. See, faith is not positive. Faith is proactive. And that's why the self-belief, faith has to come first because faith gets you moving in a direction. Belief gets you, self-belief gets you moving in a direction. Without self-belief, we're all over the place and we're just random and we're not moving forward in life in a linear direction. So I like both those two. And I know I'm a stickler for language because it's my field, but, and I, I think so many people use the word positive, but I think a lot of time when people say positive, they're really meaning proactive. 
And there's a real big difference there in the end. But I get a little, I know I get a little nitpicky around the, the, the language. But that proactivity is what propels people to take action. I, I think that this is really important because this this loop, right? It's a loop, like this, uh, this proactivity and uh, reactivity yep. is a loop. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, and I see it as um, kind of two two thoughts. I'm going to tell you um, what happened to me yesterday when I was surfing, and I want to tell you about uh, what happens on doors, and I want to just hear what your advice would be for it. So yesterday I went um, I went out surfing. I really want to be good at surfing, and I'm not that great at it. And uh, I I started and I caught a wave early, and it was great. And then I made some mistakes and then I had some crashes and then the rest of my session just went downhill. I started to have, Oh, should I go for, I started second guessing myself. I started. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, man, that was, that was terrible. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's a minor example, but what I'm thinking is when I got into the water, it was okay. I'm going to go for this one. Okay. Remember, go left, whatever. And then at the end of my session, it was, Oh no, that one's too big. And it was just reacting to everything that came at me. So yes. how often yeah. when you start coaching a program or an individual is just pure reactivity the problem? Great. I love it. So look, guys, let's try this for a sec. And you guys maybe have heard me do this before. So I just have done this so much. I don't know who's heard what. But think about this for a minute. You guys know what the Mona Lisa looks like, right? Okay. So visualize the Mona Lisa for me right. as good as you can. Real, really try this. Visualize the Mona Lisa and get it in your head as good as you can. Don't think of the Mona Lisa with the big, bushy, hairy mustache. What'd you do, Tyler? I was trying so hard not to. And what <laughs> but did you I do? even like could see the color and the wispiness of it all. So yeah. Yeah. So can you see this? <laughs> I look, got that so let's in great detail. See, so look at how the brain—the brain is connected to the central nervous system. Central nervous system con- controls everything we do, every twitch, everything we can do. But it, it doesn't understand the word don't. When you tell it don't, the brain does the processing, not the central nervous system. So if you tell the central nervous system don't fall, what is it hearing? Can't do anything with the word don't, so what is it going to do? Yeah, here's fall. That's all it hears is fall. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing we want to change. Every time you tell yourself don't do something, that the central nervous system, all it's hearing is do it. So if I'm skiing down the mountain, and the thought pops in my head, don't fall, what happens? You're gonna fall. You start to get sick and you get start to get a sore throat and you say, don't get a sore throat, what's on your mind? It's called the law, L-A-W, I know you guys right. think I say it funny, but the law of occupied space, that's the <laughs> foundational law. And then the second law is the law of attraction. So the how these two laws work together, whatever you focus on will occupy the space. And that's why it's so important to be proactive so you occupy the space and what to do. Injuries, everything. So at the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm, I'm so big on this. When I was first came in to help change the culture, I was doing trainings with everyone, the players, the coaches, the GMs, everyone. At one point, we had a meeting with every single person in the facility, support staff, security guys that just opened the door. Because I cannot have somebody that opens the door for Giannis Antetokounmpo, arguably the best basketball player in the world, as he's running out and he says to him, hey, Giannis, is your knee still hurting? Well, what's Giannis potentially going to focus on then? On his sore knee. We need every person has to be committed to the culture of proactivity. Every single one. And I'm giving away some trade secrets here. But every single individual in that organization needs to be in a proactive mindset. If you're not, you can't be around these players. 
because there's so much at stake, it's going to impact their performance if we're not proactive. I think that's a great tip for our listeners that that run teams. We tell everyone to think of yourself as a leader because if you're not leading a big sales team, you're leading a movement in a neighborhood and, and your language matters. But um, you know that that's a really strong takeaway and maybe a rule to implement. If you're leading a team, our teams have 15 to 50 people on them to say, hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of our rules is uh, proactive language, right? Like that's all we have in this environment because the stakes yep. are so high. Yep. Everything train and, yeah, and coming back great. to Adam and earlier uh-huh. question you had, you got to train your mind to think that way. So every time you go into the door, I'm going to do this at the door. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. Even if you don't, the door gets shut in your face, you go to the next door. I'm going to do this. You got to do everything you can not to let your mind go to, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to mess up here. I don't want this to go wrong. You got to discipline your mind and train your mind. It's called being additive. We want to be additive, definitely not subtractive. If you tell yourself, I can't do that, can't do that, it's the worst thing you can ever say to yourself. Try it, guys. Try one morning, waking up in the morning and saying, strong, yeah, well, I, I think can't even, do this. I think even I think even giving yourself um, a couple one-liners or uh, maybe a lead-in that just says, I need to. Like one of the things that happens indoors, same thing that happened to me in my surfing session, right? They get out there and mm-hmm. they're, they're feeling it and they've got that motivation that you spoke of. And maybe even they're filling themselves up with proactive speak. And they knock the door and it goes bad. And then they knock another door and mm-hmm. it goes bad. And they knock another door and it goes bad. And then they start to get reactive. I'm wondering if even something like, hey, I need to have a good conversation in the next hour. I need to, I need to make a connection. I need to knock four more doors as opposed to, oh, man, I hope I don't get a zero. See, Tyler, can you hear what you're saying? I love that. That's proactive. Proactive leads to a plan. So it's not just wishing it. It's not. I mean, the can do is good. I can make this. I like that it can. I can close this deal. I can make get a good knock. But proactive is even more. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a good tone of voice. I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say that. And see proactivity, can you see how that leads to actions and solutions rather than just winging it every time you go to the door? The proactive leads to a plan. Positivity doesn't lead to any plan. But proactivity leads to a plan of action always. I know you got a snowboard on your – is that a snowboard on your wall or a skateboard behind you? Uh, those are skateboards from some of our guests that we've actually had on the okay. show. So so years ago, I was working with Red Bull, and Travis Rice is a backcountry snowboarder. He's not – everyone knows who Sean White is, but Travis Wright is an absolute legend in the snow, in snowboarding industry. He's the first guy that used to – they'd drop him off on a helicopter, and he'd, he'd go down these gnarly hills – and I was doing a session for another Red Bull athlete at the same time, and I'll never forget this, guys. So we have this, and he gets up, and he gets this marker, and he draws a, a stick figure, and he says, everyone thinks that they just dropped me on top of the, hel- the on top of this cliff. I strap on my board and just mindlessly go down the mountain. He's like, that's not what I do. When I'm putting the board on, all I'm thinking about is I'm going to go down this way. And he says this, guys. I'm not kidding. This is what he says. He says, if I start an avalanche, I'll bounce over this way and go down this way. If I get stuck in the trees, I'll bounce over this way and go down this way. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what did you just say? Did you say if I start an avalanche? He's like, yeah, just like it was everyday life. I'm like, these are the guys that are fearless. <laughs> this, this is what leads to being yeah. fearless. It's, it's, not, it's not being mindless and not having a plan. It's always having a proactive plan of what you're going to do. And if you have that mindset, there's always a solution. Now, take that to door to door. If you have that mentality, 
you always have this mentality that I'm, it's just a matter of time before I figure out the plan to close the deal. And there's no need to ever have doubt and fear occupy your mind because all you're ever doing is just always focusing on the plan. What causes people? So I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, a lot of our newer reps and I notice I do this too sometimes as well. It's like, we'll train guys, the door pitch, the sales uh, presentation in a home. And a lot of yeah. times what will happen is they'll have two or three or say five bad experiences in a row and they just like yeah. abort the plan. And we're like, yep. look, like we promise the pitch works. Like we have guys that have sold thousands of these things with this exact pitch. Yeah. You need to work at getting good at this, not just abort the plan and things wrong. And so yep. how do you, when it's like that apex of that moment's coming, it's like failure, failure, failure. And that coming where they just are like, screw it. I'm going to start saying something else at the doors. I know better. I've been doing this for three weeks. You know, never mind what the guy who's sold a thousand of these has done. I'm going to try my plan. You know what I mean? Like what causes to do yeah. that? Yeah, I love it, mate. So I love this question because if you take your skills, so this is where my work I think is good. I'll come into any industry and then you take your your sales pitch and how in your expertise and then you combine it with the mental skills of self-belief. That That's why it works so well because you give them the pitch, but then they're working on self-belief. And so as they're working on the self-belief, that negates the self-doubt and the discouragement. And so they just will keep at it until they get the deal. And so that's why that works so well. Because you can have the pitch and you can have these ideas or have these goals of closing deals. But if you don't have the belief, you quit. You, you start to let doubt in real quick. And you guys know this because you see it every day. Self-doubt to this day is the biggest killer of the human race. Because once you doubt yourself, and that was the, I can't do this, you just stop trying mentally at that point. I, I mean, I, I was showing, going through there a couple, a little bit ago. You know, my oldest son sometimes would come in in the morning and he would say, I don't, and he'd flop on the bed and he'd be, he'd say, I don't want to go to school today. And my wife would be like, well, you have to. And then he would drag himself in and shave and take him to school. That's, I don't want to. Imagine if you're saying to yourself, I can't do this. What do you think happens if you're saying, I can't do this? This is what, I, what happens. You don't even get out of bed. So you don't even try. That's the biggest killer to the human race when you're using the word, I can't do that. That's why I can is so powerful. And even more, the research says than that, even stronger language than I can is I will. Um, Coach Bronco Menino used to do this all the time. I did the same coaching session all the time at BYU. I put it on the whiteboard and every time he'd walk in after me and cross it out and put, I, we will. And I said to him, I'm like, Bronco, I can say we will. He's like, no, I like that physical um, example of me walking in and cross out can and replacing it with will. He was big on that. He was huge on just a mentality of I, we will do this. I still like I can because I think it, it makes it more personal to the individual. And then when you do, man, it's the biggest dopamine hit in the world when you when you do something that you've set out to do. Yeah, I love that. And there, it's interesting the small difference between the I don't want to and I can't do it. Because there's a lot of things yeah. that I don't want to do necessarily, but I know I can do them, right? I mean, it's even mm -hmm. as simple as waking up at 5.30 and going to the gym. I don't want to do it, right. but I know I can do it. I know it's important. And so you just do it. What's the difference between the person who wakes up at, say, 5.30 or 6 and 
they may not want to do it, but they still have the resolve or the willpower to say, but I know I can do it and I'm going to do it and I will do it. What, what happens to the person who hits their alarm and falls back asleep? Because I feel like that's a lot of times that's the difference between our best sales yeah, guys it. and our worst sales guys is the best guys just have that ability to never hit the snooze button and fall back asleep. Yeah, I love this. So here's something else. I, and I know, I don't know how much time we have here, but you think about it, the very core of our existence, a neuron fires, a neuron fires through our self-talk, through our words, a neuron fires and makes a connection. And that's what the brain is. It really communicates. Okay. But here's the other part that I love that Adam talks about. The other thing the conscious mind does, it communicates, but it also creates energy. Your heart creates energy. But the other thing that creates energy is your brain. If you want to kill somebody, you better shoot them in the brain or the heart, right? That's the two energy sources. And they found, researchers showed that intermittent fasting is what increases the plasticity of the brain. Because when you fast for 24 hours or you just fast intermittently, instead of going to food or water or Diet Coke, like Adam, you are talking about earlier, for energy, you have to create energy yourself. So when somebody fasts for 24 hours, you hear the words in their head saying, I can get to the end. So to answer your question, the difference in the words is the difference in the energy, and the, which is the affect, the emotion. So when I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, I can do this. So when you say it with a strong tone, and those of you that are taking notes, 7% is words of how we communicate is words. 38% is tone. 7% is words, 38% is tone. So when you say to yourself, I can get up and go to the gym, that's creating, firing this energy and that energy activates the body to action. But when you're too soft with yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get up to the gym, but I really don't want to, man, I just don't know if I can do it. And you're too soft. That just leads to inactivity. You got to be strong. That's why I like calling this mental strength. There is a time and a place. This is willpower. There's a time and a place you just got to will yourself to success. And that's where the can-do kicks in. Why, Tom Brady has said this, and so many times in the fourth quarter in, in Super Bowls, he said, it's not more intelligence. It's not knowing the plays any better. You just got to simply will yourself over the finish line, which sometimes that is just, I'm closing today. And you're just getting yourself up and you're willing yourself through those doubts to get yourself to where you want to be. And so that affect... The emotion is big, guys. Having Bringing the energy is big. Energy oscillates. You think about, again, you hook up your heart to an EKG machine, it oscillates. A goal is not to flatline in life. That means you're dead. That means you're vanilla. That means you're boring. That means you have no passion in life. To bring passion, you got to be strong with those can-dos at times. And so I like all my clients. I love this. Again, so can-dos, everyone that's listening, can-do mindset. Be proactive is the big one. Here's another one. I love all my clients to have a power statement, a power statement of power words. So when the crap hits the fan, you're afraid, the doubt starts to hit, you got to bring that power statement to overcome that doubt and fear. Um, I've had quarterbacks. I've been on the sidelines of quarterbacks where they're just saying, man, I, today is my day or um, I got this. Power statements like that that bring that emotion that get you out of bed and get you moving forward in life. I think that's great. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, you know, I think our initial questions were, how do you get somebody their initial confidence and how do you get them uh, going? Almost assuming that they were um, 
you know, pretty sophomoric in their development. I had an experience yesterday where I was interviewing one of our leaders of one of our very best markets. And he came in, I don't know, four years ago as a young kid and uh, has just exceeded expectations. He's grown and he's he's reached these these financial um, levels that before he never thought were possible or were possible. And so now uh, the focus of the conversation yesterday was he, he's kind of hit a plateau and he's really content with the money that he's making and is attempting to re-engage, which a lot of us are, man. We've been locked up. We're, we're people that go, go, go. And we've been locked up for seven or eight weeks and now we're going again, right? Right. So what would you say to, you work with people that aren't, it's not like you're working with people that don't know their potential and you're trying to get them to see it. You work with extremely high performers and help them to get mm-hmm. better. So where, yeah. uh, that's a very brief overview of this individual, but where would you help someone like that? Where would you start there? Yeah, so that's, that's a little different. That's a little further down the path. What happens is where motivation theory, so to me, you're talking about motivation theory. Motivation theory teaches us where either task, which is skill or think competency or ego, which is also known as outcome orientated. Okay. doesn't mean we're bad people, but we can become ego orientated. What happens so many times when we think we've arrived, when we think we're making enough money or we've won enough championships, Whenever we think we've arrived, the ego's kicking in and our mind is behind us. We're focusing on the past. We're focusing on what we've done in the past. And then we coast. So whenever you think you've arrived and you think you're all that, you're living in the past and you start coasting. Now think about this for a minute. Driving on the freeway 75 miles an hour and you're looking over your shoulder out the back window while you're driving. How catastrophically dangerous is that to be driving 75 miles an hour looking out the back window? That's how dangerous it is emotionally and psychologically to look behind you. Guys, and everyone listening, the best of the best, they don't look behind them. They always are in the present, looking forward in life, always moving ahead. doesn't matter how many times you've done it in the past. What are you going to do next? That's where the motivation is. Motivation is always moving forward. If you've made all the money in the world you want, you've got to look for other things you want to do in life to keep moving forward. It is not healthy to look behind us. Give you an example. I love Formula One. Um, Bernie Ecclestone is a guy that's owned Formula One for five decades. He's a billionaire multiple times over. Uh, and they were interviewing him recently because he sold his, Formula One to a, um, a Liberty Media American company three years ago. And they're doing this documentary and asking him, you know, you've done all this amazing stuff. Tell us about the 70s. This is his answer, guys. 89 years of age. How many people you know that are 89 years of age and all they want to do is talk about their past and how awesome they were in the past, right? 89 years of age, multiple billionaire. And he says this, he says, I've spent my life learning to always look forward and never look behind me. I'm not the right person to interview. Go and interview somebody else. 89 years of age and he still refuses to talk about his past. I just love that. That, That's, I've seen that in athletes, musicians, the best are always trying to master their craft which is the task. The best of the best are always trying to master their craft. If you're watching the final dance, Michael Jordan, they said to him multiple times, he basically did his job better than any other, any other human being on the planet. He was always just staying in his lane, just trying to master, master his job, what he does. When his mom was mad at him because she wouldn't, he wouldn't support an African-American uh, politician who was running for, I think, the Senate, his comment was, I don't know anything about that. It's not my business to talk about things I don't know. I love that. The best stay in their lane. 
master what they do and they just get so stinking good at what they do because their mind's not all over the place. They're just always moving and always trying to master their craft. The money is just something that comes along the journey. It's just getting so good. To me, I think you guys, I, I coach quite a few of you guys in the 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 door-to-door the -door world. I do still suit from all those years back at the beginning. I still do some some one-on-one -on -one coaching with you guys because I love the I love the craft of door-to-door. -to, -door. to me, it's buying into just mastering that craft and being the best you can dang well be at what you do. I think that's what motivates people. Competency, they call it efficacy. Efficacy, they say, is the biggest thing. Efficacy is seeing the path you're trying to be on. That, that's that's super applicable. Um, I was hoping we'd get into the last dance. Usually on this show, Adam makes fun of me because I don't know anything about sports. But <laughs> but I know a lot about pop culture, and I remember watching the Bulls growing up and everything. And uh, I wanted to know because they didn't, at least not in what I've seen. I'm through like episode seven. I haven't made it all the way through yet. But um how much of even someone that's as great as Michael was mentally just had this edge that was so far beyond uh, people of maybe even comparable talent. But, you know, I happen to know that he also had a coach, right? Grover was his coach. And how much do you think coaching helps even a guy that's already elite? Because I keep thinking even someone like Michael yeah, yeah, like no, he had it yep. all figured out by himself, right? He still surrounded himself no, 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 with no, coaching. No. No, he was working on mental stuff from the time he was young. He wrote a book once. I had a Japanese roommate one year at BYU for tennis, and he had this tiny little book, and it had the psychology of Jordan's success, and it had Jordan's ideas. He'd never taken a psychology class as far as I knew, but his ideas behind the mind were exactly right. Jordan worked hard on the mental skills from the time he was a teenager, and he was so disciplined mentally. So focused, so disciplined mentally, amazingly good. I don't agree with how brutal he is on some of his teammates towards the end. He thought that's what he needed to do in order to get him to be great. I think there's better ways of doing that. But he was just so dialed in and so strong mentally on what he did. Tom Brady has had a mental strength coach from the time he was at Michigan. He works with this guy all the time. And i got to be careful what I say, but the teams I've worked with, I've worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers the year that we won the championship, I was working with them heavily that year. Then I was recruited to work with the Bucs. I've been working with them for the last three and a half years. We've been the best team in the NBA for the last two years. And seeing the development of some of their plays, and again, I need to be a little bit careful. You don't realize how much these guys are working on the mental behind the scenes. They work hard to get the mind in a good place. There are some that don't do don't want to meet and they're already in a good place but i gotta be honest there's some guys that i've seen in, in some of these teams that are very good mentally but they're not getting better they're good and they're staying that level and they're not approving i've seen it at byu for years athletes come in very good and leave the same athlete because they're not working hard on the mental side and i've seen athletes just over and over again in business and music if you do the mental work as well as the physical it is just unbelievable what we're capable of doing if you do both. I heard in your last talk, uh, you passively but deliberately said it's the greatest game in the world or whatever. I read uh, I read Agassi's book, and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but I'm fascinated by this idea. You know, sometimes we talk about um, with the guys that it's really fun when you get to a point where you stop selling for income and you start selling for sport. And I, you know, knowing a little bit about your career, you're working with people that aren't they're not playing the game for income. 
right? You're not, Travis Rice isn't trying to track these things out so he gets paid well, right? They're, they're, they're pushing human performance. But one of the interesting things um, with Agassi's book is whenever he would be recounting a game or a match, he would say, I broke him. And then he would go forth and, and win um, the match. So maybe, you, you know, you're a former tennis pro, that's a world you know very well. I want to hear your thoughts on that as it applies to what we do mentally, because a lot of times what we do is if you're selling with somebody that's really, really good, I've seen this before where, uh, you know, I'm at a spot shadowing somebody where I don't know if we're going to get the sale. And that expert says, watch, we're going to get it. And they mentally get it. And then the result follows. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does a lot. So first there's one just sorry, just to, cause it's tennis, when he's saying I broke him in tennis, when you're, ser you're serving, when you're serving in tennis, the serve is such a dominant thing on the men's side of tennis. It's called holding serve. You want to hold your serve. You don't want to lose your serve at all because um, it's really difficult to break serve. And that's what he's talking about breaking. To break somebody's serve is very difficult. And he, so that's what he's talking about. Once I could break him, I'd go on and win because it's not. He's not talking about breaking his mind. He's talking about breaking his serve there a little bit. Um, so the, I love Agassi though, and I love his book. But going back to your question is, um, this is going, you're, you're, to me, that's very much around this mastering your craft. I think the best door-to-door -door salespeople, they turn up to the door and they love the challenge of trying to get the sale and they love the process. That's the task. That's what I'm talking about, the task. They love the process and, and using their skills they've developed through their experience, like Adam talked about earlier, tapping into whatever skills they need to be able to get that person um, to be comfortable with closing that sale. I think they almost love that more than they even than the money that actually comes from it. The money's like a bonus, but they love that, no the craft. So I think, yeah, no I, I just think you guys get to the point, it's like an art form more than anything. And you love just creating great art, like every day, seeing how many you can close. It gives you that, see every psychological issue is rooted in control. And when you master something well, it gives you this addiction of control that is just so intoxicating. So for me in tennis, it was mastering that, controlling that little yellow ball, being able to hit the ball so hard and so close to the line. It was just so intoxicating trying to get better and better at that. You know, So for me now, for, for the last 20 years or so, it's the understanding coaching, the mental strength and understanding the science and trying to help people in the right way and mastering how well I can do that as best as I can. And, and to me, for you guys, that's the art form of door to door and, and how good you can get at it. It's like a rush when you can perform so well at something, right? That's really what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. So Kung Fu originally was the discipline of the mind. The physical martial arts was added a hundred years after the theology of, of Kung Fu. It's the discipline of doing something well that I think so many people crave in life. It doesn't even matter what it is a lot of the time. I was gonna, um, I always take these moments to brag about myself a little bit, Dr. Manny, but I'm a solid 3.5 <laughs> right. on, on the tennis court. And, oh, wow, uh, good. But it is, if any of you have ever played tennis, if someone's best, uh, their best weapon they have is their serve, there's nothing more demoralizing to that person than to break the serve, right? Yep, absolutely, um, I, yeah. Yep. And I played, um, played sports my whole life. I always loved defense. And I loved playing defense because 
you have an opportunity to shut down, you know, maybe the most cocky player on the other side of the ball or just shut down something that they've always done really well. And there's just something gratifying about like shutting down someone's best skill set. Right. So, um, but I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on how you can apply that sort of mentality where you break your opponent, you know, when we're out selling every day. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think about that one for a bit because I like, yeah, tennis, you have somebody at the other end of the court that you can really get under their skin if you're smart. But, uh, um, I'm just trying to relate that to door to door. I did actually want to ask you one other thing. So tennis to Mm -hmm. me is the sport where as a, I'm sure as a mental coach, you've probably had some of your own clients where you've watched them start a match, lose their mojo or their confidence and then regain it back, maybe lose it again, regain it back. You know, have you had any really notable experiences where you've watched someone that you've been working with just go through this roller coaster of losing it, some getting their confidence back, and you can just see it happening live? Oh, oh yeah, all the time. The momentum swings. It would tennis is brutal because it is. It's just one on one. You're out there on your own. And so many times I've seen people, they get on a roll and they're winning, but they start to think they're all that and they make a couple of silly mistakes and they don't realize the momentum that you're giving somebody else. And then they come storming back. And so many times, but I remember playing Oklahoma, Oklahoma was a top program and we're playing them here though. So it was our advantage. I'm watching two courts and the court closest to me, it was just this massive fight uh, sorry, no, the court next to me was really, we were doing really well. We actually won the first set 6-0, but the court next to it was a massive battle. And our player there also won that one 6-4, but it was really, really close. And all of the all of the girls that were on the team, they were going over to cheer for this other match because it was so close. I'm like, no, 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 stay here. Don't go over there. They're like, why? We just won this one 6-0 and that one over there. Um it's really close. I'm like, no, this opponent we're playing on this court is never going to stop fighting. That one's over there is already lost. She's already quit because she's, she's already broken. And I could just see it in their, their body language, the tone. So I said 7% of everything we communicate is words. 38 is tone. Well, 55 is body language. And sure enough, the one we won 6-0, we end up losing the next set. I can't remember the score. And it was like a tiebreaker in the third, which we did end up getting. The other one over there was 6-4, 6-0. You know, it's just amazing that momentum swings. And to me, it's so important to keep your mind in the right place. If you keep your mind in the right place, even if you don't get a close, that's how I relate that to tennis. Even if you get the door closed, even if you don't close any deals for a day, keep your mind in the right place because that momentum is more important than anything else. Sometimes you can go out there and you're winning, but you're playing like crap. That's more scary because that's it's a false sense of security. How's that relate? Sometimes you're closing deals on the door, but you're not doing it right at all. You're just getting lucky because the people at the door are ready to buy from you and you're not doing anything. I think the key is getting in the right mindset and mastering your pitch, getting that down and constantly tweaking that pitch and constantly perfecting it and use that as an art form. Those are the ones to me, it's you can sell door to door even when it's it's not easy time, when it's maybe saturated or whatever. 
I think that's the ultimate when you can sell when when everyone else is really struggling. And to me, that's how I relate that back to tennis. That's great. I think that's directly applicable to our people. Well, Dr. Manning, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit. Where can where can our guys that want to read more on on your work and your coaching and your books that you've put out, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I wrote the book, The, the Fearless Mind, T-H-E. I didn't own the website Fearless Mind back then. Now I do, but The Fearless Mind. So I wrote that. I also have on my website, thefearlessmind.com, that I put new videos on there every week to try and help everyone that I work with. So I have a big, a big library of mental strength skills on my website as well. So, yeah. Well, great. Well, we encourage everybody that's listening to check that out. I think uh, your work's been very impactful. You're someone that knows our industry and our individuals uh, very well. So thank you so much for, for joining us today and for taking time to share. And thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.